This episode of the Buffalonian Podcast is brought to you by the Buffalonian Division of the Cast Source Podcast Network, a podcast network built by Buffalonians for Buffalonians, featuring the shows such as the Goatheads Podcast and the Buffalonian Podcast. We cover Bills, Sabres, and more, with more shows on the way very soon. And the Cast Source Podcast Network covers many genres, including sports, business, mental health, marketing, and entertainment. Featuring the podcast shows such as Sports Bring People Together, Limitless, Saviors of the Metaverse, and The Athletic Mindset. Learn more at castsource.com slash podcast. And without further ado, let's get into the Bills, Sabres, Hot Takes, Trivia, and more of the Buffalodian Podcast. All right, let's go. Hello and welcome to the Buffalonian podcast. Uh, I'm your host tonight, uh, Dominic Loss, as always. Uh, you know, first time Joe is missing the pod. I don't know, you know, if we should mark this day in the calendar. Uh, a little over a year, you know, the perfect attendance is is no longer, so we won't be winning that uh, on the award ceremony for for year two. But uh, Mike is currently dealing with a sick dog, and Joe is currently moving into uh, his his uh, new place. So it's currently going to be me for a little bit. We'll see if Mike ends up joining us as his uh, dog is going through some sickness. So prayers up for the old doggo. Um, but with that being said, let's jump right into the bills. Uh, the bills having a rather interesting week. Uh, I would say they have announced the signing of an offensive tackle, Brandon shell, uh, the ex Miami dolphin who has, a lot of experience. Uh, start has started over eighty games. Started a lot last year. Uh, is mainly a right tackle. Can play a little bit of left tackle. I think this signing is kind of what we expected the Bills to do. Maybe a little bit earlier in free agency, which is kind of address uh, maybe a little bit more of the right tackle position. Not leave that as big as a weakness. We know the Bills love competition. It seemed for I mean the longest time until you know the, this week that. The Bills are kind of okay running it back at that position with Spencer Brown. Uh, they obviously re-signed uh, David Quessenberry. Um, so it seemed that they were kind of running it back a little bit when obviously no one was drafted in that area. Uh, I would say a need. I mean, probably uh, I would, most fans would probably say middle linebacker with Tremaine being gone and, you know, the weakness that was Spencer Brown last year at right tackle was probably after what they did in free agency in the draft were probably the two biggest concerns on the roster. And they really weren't going to, didn't seem like they were going to add any competition to that, that position, but brand shell, here we go. Insert brand shell. Um, he's definitely an interesting player. So he ranked 13th among tackles and run grading for PFF, but his pass blocking is very similar. His efficiency and his grading is very similar to Spencer Brown, which is quite poor. So, well, I think maybe this is a veteran that can compete with Spencer Brown, maybe push Spencer Brown. I still probably would say Spencer Brown will be, as long as he's healthy and he doesn't completely crap his pants, uh, will probably be your week one starter. And I think he has a higher ceiling than Shell. So if Spencer Brown hits what I would assume Ren Bean thinks he still can, then I would assume that would be a higher ceiling than what Brand Shell can in this position. But, and again, it's another body. It's another vet. In the room, you know, we saw 
the Bills really address the interior offensive line uh, this offseason, bringing in a guy like Connor McGovern, you know, with a big contract, I wouldn't say big contract, but for with the Bills salary, with the Bills cap space, it was a pretty big commitment to bring, you know, selecting Osiris Torrance in the second round, bringing in David Edwards, you know, still having Ryan Bates bring back Ike Bacher. So, I mean, they definitely made a big commitment to the interior offensive line. I would, I don't know if worrisome is the right word, but it was a little puzzling that they weren't making that commitment to the tackle position. Uh, and obviously, you have Dion locked up as your franchise left tackle, but it just seemed like right tackle was as big a need as interior offensive line. It seemed, for again, for the most part, the Bills were going to run it back, but they add Brand Shell. I don't think it makes a huge difference in terms of the position. I don't think it's upgraded a lot. I think there's more maybe if, you know, Spencer Brown's not doing it, you have another option who's capable, you know, to bring someone off the street. I do think Branchell will probably make the roster. Um, but, you know, with him and Questenberry, they're kind of both kind of a little redundant. Um, so I, I believe Questenberry did play a little bit of guard last year, if I'm not mistaken, at one point or sometime in his career. So maybe that gives him a little bit of an edge. You know, Shell's really played, I believe, the two or three games at left tackle and majority of his starts been at right tackle. Where he's, again, he's, he's a serviceable right tackle. I don't think it's necessarily, for my mind, really great like i don't think it helps me go to sleep at night thinking brandon shell's guarding you know josh allen's right side but um it's another option it's another as you know brandon would say competition uh to really push spencer brown to be the best player he could be so and it's, an, it's another it's another veteran that has experience that could also have spencer brown you saw questenberry last year as well so it's an interesting move i I, I expected them to eventually add an, an offensive tackle. I'm surprised it took them the last week of May to do so, but happy that, you know, it seems that they're willing to add to a position still. And speaking of maybe adding to a position, uh, again, the circling, the, the rumors, the DeAndre Hopkins mill uh, is back uh, with him being officially now released by the Arizona Cardinals. So he is now officially a free agent, can sign wherever he wants. Um, no no longer the Bills have to trade for him and get that contract, You know, find a way to reconstruct that contract while also getting the right draft capital. I think it's an interesting situation because I think DeAndre Hopkins can still play. I, th- I still think he has elite hands. He's a very good route runner. I know... He's in his 30s now. I think that's a little bit concerning for a guy that's never was an elite athlete. So I think that's a little you know, maybe you get a little concerned that he could be kind of like Des Bryant a little bit, where he kind of, Des Bryant kind of fell off, just like off a cliff. But I think DeAndre Hopkins is in a little bit of a better spot was than, De, than Des Bryant was when he got cut by the Cowboys. And I think this is interesting for the Bills. Again, I've not I'm not saying I'm anti DeAndre Hopkins. I just don't. I never believed the idea of DeAndre Hopkins um, could really work. I think, you know, especially when they had a trade for him, I just never thought the Bills were going to trade significant draft capital for him. And I just think reconstructing the contract that Cardinals just didn't want to do, which, listen, from a Cardinals perspective, I'm confused why they didn't just trade him for the best available offer. I mean, they cut him before June 1st so they could take all of his dead cap because they're tanking this year, but... I'm confused that they were willing to do that, why they wouldn't at least want to try and get some kind of draft capital out of it. But what can I say? Arizona is a dysfunctional organization, but that doesn't surprise me. But, you know, there's been a lot of reports that it's an arms race between Kansas City and the Bills. And to me, 
it's interesting that like for me, both teams really don't need DeAndre Hopkins. I think it's a luxury for both teams. I think both teams really, to be honest, just don't want DeAndre Hopkins to go to the other team. I don't think it's that much that we need to add DeAndre. Like we have a need for DeAndre Hopkins. It's just that we have a need to to, to, to not let DeAndre Hopkins fall to an interconference rival. Because um, you saw the Chiefs last year winning Super Bowl as you know Kelsey's kind of a weird tight end wide receiver mix, but you know Juju Smith-Schuster was their wide receiver one last year. And with the Bills, I think they have a lot of trust in Gabe Davis. I think they've really rework, reworked the, the wide receiver room. Um, and you still have Stephon Diggs there. And you know, adding another weapon in Dalton Cockade, year two of Ken Dorsey is kind of a little bit like, where would DeAndre – the fit would be awesome just for free talent, but it would be kind of like, where would DeAndre Hopkins go? Like, how, how would that affect the target share for the players? Would DeAndre Hopkins kind of be what – Gabe Davis was last year, and Gabe Davis would kind of be that complimentary piece he was, you know, in 20 and 21 when he had, like, those 600-yard seasons and then obviously had the big playoff game. But maybe that would open up stuff for Gabe Davis. But I don't I don't think the Bills have a need for DeAndre Hopkins. I think it would be incredibly unfortunate for the Bills if he went to the Chiefs. I think that's a team that, they, that obviously, you can tell by the arms race that they don't want one of their – get them. The Chiefs have very easy where they could just – extend Chris Jones and they could free up like $16 million and give him a contract. The bills could do a little things with Dion Dion's contract and Trey West's contract to free up cap space, but not as much as not as easy um, as the chiefs. And we heard all this long, along about Brandon Bean not really wanting to be all in. And it seems to me that if they would want to get Hopkins, they really had to kind of go all in. And I don't, I don't think Brandon Bean's willing to do that. Um, I also, it kind of just matters what Deandre Hopkins wants. I think, Fans like myself get caught up in the fact of players want to win and want to chase rings. But I think also when you're DeAndre Hopkins and you still have a little bit of juice left, I think he was on pace for like when Kyler Murray was healthy, like for 1,500 yards still last season. I know he served a six-game suspension with PDs and then Murray gets injured. So it was kind of just a, a wild year for DeAndre Hopkins. But I still think he wants to get paid. And I think especially seeing Odell's you know contract, how Odell coming off his second ACL – didn't even play last year, you know, the money, you know, that he was able to get from the Ravens. But I think the problem really for DeAndre Hopkins, and he also signed a uh, clutch sports agency uh, to maybe help him with this. But the problem with DeAndre Hopkins, it just seems like the Ravens like really misread the market for OBJ. And they were really bidding against no one to give him that contract. I think they were just trying to make Lamar happy and get, get to the finish line for Lamar. So they had, you know, a, you know, alternative motives are just giving Odell this big contract. They wanted to really please Lamar. And that's why they like way overdid the market. So I think, you know, DeAndre Hopkins comes into this with the mindset of I'm going to get Odell money. I don't think there's really teams that are willing to offer, you know, DeAndre Hopkins Odell money, especially teams that, you know, he would probably want to go to like the Chiefs or the Bills. You know, do the Lions make sense? I don't know. The Lions would be cool. I'm not going to lie. You know, especially if Jamison Williams, their first round pick last year, getting a suspension for gambling for six games. I think that would probably be the spot where I think Hopkins can succeed the most with, you know, really good offensive coordinator. Jared Goff kind of good in that system. Good weapons for Detroit. Weaker division so they can make the playoffs. Get his money. Probably put up some numbers. Win some games. Like, I think Detroit's probably the best landing spot for D-Hop for probably what he wants, which is cash and success but if he just wants to go straight for the ring like i think it's the bills of the chiefs and as a bills fan um I, i'm really torn on d hop i've always been really torn on d hop because i like the player i just 
the fit is kind of, you know, with all these juggling pieces of how's the Kincaid fit, how's the Kincaid piece going to fit into the offense now? How are they going to get Nax more involved? How are they going to make Davis more effective uh, in the wide receiver division? How are they going to help this ground game get up, you know, improve upon from the second half of success? How is Diggs not going to, you know, get back to really being first half of season Diggs? I think there's a lot of questions really for the efficiency of this Bills offense. And I don't know if adding DeAndre Hopkins, you know, does it add more questions or does it help you answer more questions? I think that's like kind of where I'm, you know, right in the middle where I think he could add, you know, obviously he's a great talent, but does he add too many, does he add additional problems that now, you know, make it hard for you to find solutions? I don't, I don't know. So I think it's interesting. I think there was a contract uh, from one of the cover one guys that they could do like a three-year deal that's like heavily incentivized that was cap is really low this year and all that i just it would be interesting i think for me from bills from, from my perspective i would i would need some commitment to be honest i, I wouldn't be comfortable really for a one-year deal uh, especially if gabe davis um you know being a free agent but then does that shut the door for gabe davis i think uh, and, you know, Brand Bean, big fan of Gabe Davis. Like, I think if you bring in D Hop, I think you got to go more than one year to like not have both him and Davis free agents at the same at, at the same time. Like, you want to get a little bit of you know wide receivers, but then you know past the season you're going in with Diggs, who's going to be what thirty, D Hop's thirty one, thirty two. Like, you're going to go in with a multi year contracts with two guys in their low thirties from a wide receiver position that we 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 when the time and time again where guys just kind of fall off and. So I would be a little bit concerned with that. That's why I'm just I'm not fully on the D-Hop train. I would just say this. I just don't want him to go to Kansas City. Like, if he goes to Kansas City, I'm going to be mad. That's the one outcome I'm going to be mad at. The Bills want to be like, okay, this is – like, obviously, I'm going to be enjoyable. I think all of us are going to be like, whoa, this is pretty sick. But I think maybe a week or two after, like, that initial high, it's going to be like, okay, how are you going to play him? And if he goes to the line, I'm be like, oh, yeah, cool story. But, like, the one option that I just can't – I don't think the Bills can afford – do you have to go to the Chiefs? So how will you stop D-Hop from going to the Chiefs? Is This is where this arms race of, you know, freeing up cap space potentially, getting him an extended deal. Like that, that's where I, I think this is going to get really interesting is if it becomes really a two-man race between the Chiefs and the Bills, I, I find it hard for the Bills to eventually go out and win unless they really, like, go all in, which I think they want to avoid doing. So I think that would be my concern. Um for uh, being a Bills fan, but that is the DeAndre Hopkins talk. Um, I'm, I I will assume that. See, next week for the pod, I think we're going to be. I don't think he's going to be signed anywhere. I think this is going to be. This is going to go a little bit into June. I think. I don't. I don't think this is a, a situation that's going to resolve very quickly. I think this is a very unique situation. The organizations and you know D Hop kind of coming off a, a weird year. It's interesting. So before I transition um, to talking about the athletic uh, AFC East roundtable, um, so there has been a rumor that Josh Allen is the Madden 2024 cover. I think this is awesome if it's potentially true. I'm not – I don't want to go fully deep into it because it's a rumor. It's not fully, you know – it's not fully reported that it's going to be there. I, I believe I read – uh, in our call that EA is announcing it between June 8th and June 10th. So we're going to get an answer in a week or two. 
Um, but, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Josh is one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL, one of the best players in the NFL, uh, very likable. You know, all he does for us is the hospital. Uh, he's a superstar now. It seems like he's, like, everywhere. I mean, he was at Oak Hill. I know it was in Rochester, but you saw him, you know, just last year with Patrick Mahomes in the match with Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Um, so, you see, you know, I think this – you also consistently see him in the top of the top extra, you know, top 10, top five of the league in Jersey sales. Um, so this is a guy that's not just a great player for the bills, but he's also a great investor for the sport of football uh, for the NFL. Um, I just hope the game doesn't suck because the game has been bad for a while. I heard, I believe this is also kind of a rumorish, but with man, I wish Mike was here, but I think this is really the last year for Madden or they're going to have major changes apparently. So hopefully I will say this. I haven't bought Madden in like five, six years, but again, if, if Josh is on the cover, I will be buying Madden. I will be buying like the cover, not just online. So, you know, I think maybe that's maybe another part of it from man's perspective of all the bills, mafia fans that would be willing to buy the game just because Josh on the cover, uh, instead of having, you know, Patrick Mahomes on the cover for like the third time, I think, you know, last year I really thought Josh was going to be on the cover, but obviously with the passing of John Mann, it was only right that he was on the cover. So I think it delayed it a year, but I, th- I think we may have arrived. We may have arrived. I don't want to rush into things because we still ha- had to wait probably a week ish, maybe ten week to ten days to to officially announce it. And I, I'm sure with Joe and Mike uh, get get back on the pod, we'll have a, a great discussion about that. And, you know, the curse, but I believe the curse has been lifted if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Cause Mahomes had a very good 22 season. I don't think he, he, he didn't win. I believe um, when he was on the cover of 22, cause I think that was the year they lost. They lost to the Bengals, but um, nevertheless, he had a good season. So I think that ended the man curse. I don't, I don't think we're going to be concerned about that anymore, but uh, going into the athletic AFC East round table. Um, so this was an interesting article where they kind of talked to, um, writers from teams um, in, in this roundtable format. And they, I, they had a couple you know, answers to some questions that I thought were interesting. Um, all of them had Josh as the best quarterback in, in the division, which I think is accurate. Um, a couple of them were, you know, I wouldn't say concer- nervous. Nervous isn't the right word, but like concerned to not slight Rodgers by saying, you know, Allen just easily. It's not that you got to respect Aaron Rodgers, you know, four-time MVP, but he is 40. I still think he. I still think he's a little underrated because I still think he has it. Where I think if you know with this team around him, the Jets, I think he's dangerous. I also think Tua, if he's healthy, he's going to have a good year. And Mac with Bill O'Brien, we'll see how that leads. I mean, Mac's just in the bad position, the skill position, the players. But um, yeah, I think I think they all come to the right conclusion of the unanimous decision that Josh is the best quarterback in the division. I mean, again, I think you, we talked about this last year. Like you could make last year, last week. Excuse me. But you can make an argument very easily that Josh is the second best quarterback in, in the league. And I think you could also make an argument, honestly, that Josh is the second best player in the league. Um, because especially if Aaron Donald having a down year, I mean Michael Parsons up it's up there, you know, Trent Williams for an offensive tackle, Travis Kelsey for a tight end. But I think with the importance of quarterback, you could really make a case that Josh is the second best player in the league and only behind Patrick Mahomes. So it's only right that I think in this round table they they went to the right discussion that um Josh is the best quarterback in the division for now, I guess. Um, they also, when predicting the division, you know, the standings, all of them had the Pats in last, and all of them had the Bills winning, and then they kind of 
each had you know the Jets and the Dolphins two three in some some kind of fashion. I think this is interesting because I think the Pats are getting a little overlooked. I'm not saying the Pats are going to win the division. The, the AFC East is just straight loaded. I think this is the best division in football. They had a roundtable question. Some of them had the AFC, some of them had the AFC North. I completely disagree with the AFC North being the best division in football because, yes, I think you had the firepower and the Rangles, Rain, Rangers, God, next Rangers, the Ravens and Bengals. I believe the Steelers and, and the Browns are kind of, you know, Browns have a lot of talent, but, you know, inconsistent. The Steelers, kind of the opposite, really maybe a little bit of voice talent, but have great coaching and great organization. I think those two teams are kind of on par with like the Pats. So, and I think the Jets and Dolphins are better than those teams. So that's why I would say the AFC East is the best division in football. But I do think the Pats, well, I don't think they could win the division. I probably would still pick them to be last. I still think they have like the potential to beat out either the Jets or Dolphins, especially if O'Brien can get something out of Mac. Uh, in this offense, because last season, according to DVOA, down the stretch, the Pats the Pats had the best defense in the league, and they added Christian Gonzalez, who many had potentially to be the top corner in the draft, maybe second best behind Witherspoon, who went to the Seahawks. So I think you know the Pats are a team that's a little sneaky in my mind, just a little sneaky. But the Bills have kind of had their number the last couple of years, other than that windstorm. So I don't think the Bills had to be too concerned. Um, so that that was kind of the interesting roundtable, and then I have two kind of. No question, not questions, but I was going to have questions with Mike, uh, but he is not here with the sick doggo. So I guess I'll ask them to myself and I'll answer them. So the position I am looking most forward to in training camp, because we see it now in OTAs, is I'm looking most forward in this middle linebacker position. Um, there are just so many guys that I just don't know who will be in the like the clubhouse leader. You know, Terrell Bernard apparently had a very good 11 on 11 day. You know, Dorian Williams is learning the middle linebacker position. Oh, there's a clip of hit, like uh, Spectre, Bernard, I believe, or maybe it was Dobson, and then Williams going in, in like a shed sled drill, and Williams messed up because his hips weren't moving forward. I'm not going to get that technical sound because I'm going to leave that to the coaches, but um, I think that's the position that I think everyone should have their eyes on. I, right tackle to me is still the biggest, like, I'm concerned most about that position because I think that's like a position that could really kill the Bills because you saw it last year of Josh injuring his UCL, like or Josh injury away from not being a playoff team. It's just as simple as that sometimes. Um, and that, that I mean, anything on the offensive line is scary. But to me, the middle linebacker position, how McDermott uh, is going to be able to kind of fill that void of Tremaine with maybe a little more undersized, maybe a little bit more three safety looks. You know, does who gets to start week one? I, I don't know. I don't know what the odds are. I would say the clubhouse leader is probably Tyrell Dodson just because he started last year in the place of Tremaine. But I think he really struggled. And I think if Terrell Bernard really comes in and has a really good camp, I think he might be, you know, up there. I think Spectre is a little bit more dark horsey. And I think Dorian Williams is kind of on the outside looking in. I would be shocked if he's a week one starter. So, uh, I think the, the Spectre, and then actually you can't forget about AJ Klein too. So I mean, it's just there's just so many guys, but there's not really many solutions. If that you know, there's a problem as a whole, and you have a lot of pieces to fill the hole, but neither one of those pieces are exact. You know, fitting the hole exactly. You know, you have to put some elbow grease in it. Uh, 
uh, you know, to, to exactly, you know, put it in and it's a little tight and it keeps popping back in and out. So the, I think the whole Warriors beat it throughout the year. It's just how good can the defense around them be to kind of patch that McDermott with his play calling, I think will be interesting. And then finally, before we go into our, you know, the Sabres talk, I think the most underrated position pedal that most of us are overlooking is corner. I think corner is a position that we haven't talked a lot about. Rightfully so, because, I mean, you had a trade coming back, you know, year two off the ACL, it's kind of like the year people are, you know, athletes bounce back to their form. And you, you had the first time pick at Elam, you have Christian Benford, you have Dane Jackson, and I don't think there's a lot of discussion about this cornerback, too. I think, you know, I just talked about the middle linebacker and the right tackle. Like, there's not a lot of discussions about who's going to be that second outside cornerback opposite Travis White. And... What I'd like to say, yeah, Kyrie Lim had a really good postseason. It was big time in the Dolphins game. was pretty solid against the Bengals. I really haven't really watched that game after the first watch, I'm going to be honest. But I think it's interesting that, you know, Dane Jackson's still here. Christian Benford got the week one start last year. We know what Christian Benford is. He can tackle very well. And you know Sean McDermott loves tackling cornerbacks. And Kyrie Lim was a little inconsistent last year at that. That was the big knock on him um, coming out of the University of Florida last year in the first round. So I think it will be interesting to see how that position goes. I would say right now the betting favorite, again, would probably be Kyrie Elam because of the way he ended last year. But it just wouldn't – I mean, they started a six-round rookie last year in Benford, so it wouldn't shock me if he got it or somehow Dane – you know, works his way. I mean, listen, the Bills have fantastic corner depth this year, and I think that's 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 really great. But again, it's kind of like you have great depth, but I really would like to find us a, a permanent solution to the second cornerback spot, um, where I don't have to be keep rotating in. You know, all those years of uh, Dane, was it uh, no Levi Wallace one series, Josh Norman one series in twenty twenty. We saw it. Um, you know, with Dane Kyrie and. Christian Benford last year's, you know, I I would just like to find solidify that spot, and I think that's a position battle that, you know, it's one of the few really starting starting spots that I think is complete up for grabs with middle linebacker and potentially the interior offensive line and right tackle. Like, I think this that is the most where there's legit three NFL starters that are all solid, and. It's just going to matter who who's more consistent in training camp, who's more consistent in the preseason, and I, I'm very intrigued to see how how that goes. Um, so, with that being said, it is time to transition to our Sabres talk. Um, well, have we been doing this? You know, the last couple last couple of shows is that we've really started instead of being a, a Sabres talk really more of an Amherst talk um, and that is what we are going to do as the Amherst as I am recording this just won game five in Hershey um, by a score of four to one so re- a really solid bounce back performance from the Amherst you know last week as we talked they, they won game one you know, we're up 1-0. They lose the second game in Hershey. It's kind of whatever. You get the split. You get to Rochester, the sold-out arena, back-to-back. And they just lay a goose egg in, in, in you know, they just lay an egg in, in game three. And then game four, they're up 2 nothing, And 
This is why I talk about the most dangerous lead in hockey is a two-goal lead. Um, as they kind of sat back, kind of, you know, the Amherst kind of let Hershey really dictate the play, and all of a sudden it's 2-1. It's like, oh, my gosh, one, you know, one puck, you know, hit the wrong way, and it's tied, and then they do a cross-ice pass, and it's 2-2. And next thing you know, there's a scrum in front of the net, and Hershey has taken a 3-2 lead. It's kind of... You know, I guess poetic. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Like I, I, karma, you just you, you can't do it. I, you just can't do it. And they give up a, an empty netter and, and lose. And um, it seemed like it was kind of over to be honest, because you lose both your games at home was just a complete momentum killer. You're down three one, but this team you got up. Yeah, credit. You know the organization as a whole, the coaching staff for getting them ready, but also the players for their mental toughness. It was it, it would have been very easy uh, for them to come into Hershey and just kind of be like, "All right, like down three one. It's a physical team. We're just kind of getting pounded. We just absolutely threw up on ourselves at home in two games and blew a lead. It would have been very easy for them to 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 give up and just kind of let Hershey down with the game. And you know, right in the first period, Yuri Kulik. Uh, scores uh, to to give the Amherst early lead. You know, Malcolm Subban was really solid. And then in the third period, Lucas Ruzak and you know the captain score. They did give a power play goal in between, so it was it was a two one game for a long time. But a really quality road win for the Amherst uh, to now stay alive another night. They will return uh, this Friday. Uh, in Rochester, hopefully they don't go lose all three other home games. Uh, you know, hopefully we could force a game seven. But you saw us at Syracuse; they were down 2-0 when they end up winning the last three games. They had series to come back. This is this is a team that has, sh- has shown time and time again, you know, that mental toughness that you need to bounce back from a really poor performance and to have your backs against the wall against a Hershey team that's very you know veteran laden. They, I mean. They knew the stakes. They didn't want to go back to Rochester. They wanted to end it, you know, at home in front of their home fans. And for the for the Amherst to kind of come in and immediately throw a punch, and and kind of stay on their toes, take the take the take the beating from Hershey the next couple of periods, and you know, able to add to the lead and kind of a little bit coast from there. Uh, it's it's a big result. Now I do have to say this, and I think this is an an important thing to discuss. So Matthew Savoy. Uh, the Sabers, I don't know, I want to say top prospect, but one of their top prospects uh, who was playing with the WHL in Winnipeg. You know, his season ends and he signs with the AHL. We talked about this last last week. Um, and he he had his AHL debut in Game Two and played in Game Two and Game Three. And I'm not going to say he played fantastic. I think someone doing I can't remember who, but someone charting on 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 Twitter talked about how he was ahead in high danger chances so really he wasn't as bad even though he had a minus 1 no points and no shots and goal you know he was solid you know he's is is this the great series for him no cuz you know him being under 510 a little small but i think they could use the speed and the problem i have and this is where i get very annoyed with amrix fans and I'm not saying I'm not an Amherst fan. I enjoy the Amherst. I root for the Amherst. I wouldn't consider myself to be a, a fan. I think that's, you know, a little 
and it's kind of like with the Bisons being here in, in, in Buffalo. I'm not a Blue Jays fan. Like, I'll root for the Blue Jays a little bit because of the Bisons, but I'm not a Blue Jays fan. I'm a Bisons fan. It's the same thing here. Like, I root for the Amherst. I wouldn't consider myself to be a, a fan. And I think the problem that the Amherst fans have always had is they just – you are – at the end of the day, the Amherst are a farm team that is supposed to help the Sabres organization. Right, and the Sabres organization are, are going to pull what they want from the Amherst, and that doesn't mean that every, you know when an injury happens in the Sabres, they're not going to be like, "Oh, the Amherst, you guys, you guys need these top guys. We'll take a no." They're going to take your best players. That's just how it goes. You know, that's how it goes in in minor leagues. You know, you're going to take your best players, and if they if the Sabres thought, "Hey, the best thing for Matt Savoy's development is to get in a couple of games here." And see where he's at in the HL level. They're going to do it, and and to complain about that and say the reason they lost those two games is because Matt Savoy came in and ruined the chemistry is complete bukkake. I, I think that is un, un, undeniably stupid. I'm sorry. Like you can't honestly tell me that the reason they lost those two games was Matt Savoy. They didn't play well. And honest to God, it's not even they didn't play well. They actually got goalied. Like they actually did play pretty. Like, they had more chances than. Hershey, they actually outplayed Hershey in game two and three. I don't, they got dominated in game four without Savoy. Um, so it wasn't really, they they played all that bad. They just got goalied by Hunter Shepard, who's a solid goaltender, HL goaltender. And the Amherst fans just want to go for this 19 year old's head. Okay. Like if that makes you feel any better, I don't know what to tell you. Like the Sabres, again, are going to do what they feel is best for their organization. If they felt for their organization, the best thing for Matt Savoy, was to play a couple of games in the AHL playoffs, they are going to do that. And the fact that they lost those games sucks. But at the end of the day, the Sabres care more about their players developing and being ready for the NHL level than the Amherst winning. I'm sorry, that's always going to be the case. The pro league, you know, the 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 mother league, I don't know, you know, is always going to care more about the development of players and the success of the minor league teams. That's just how it goes. And, and Amherst fans get very annoyed by that. But that's your place in being minor le- a minor league system is that you're, you're going to get, you know, the short end of the stick sometimes. And it's not like Savoy played all that bad. It's not like the team played all that bad. So to blame Matt Savoy for the fact they lost game two and game three is really ridiculous. And it only made sense that his replacement, Cedarquist, came in and had, I believe, had two assists in game four. And with one, one of their better players, but I will say this, Philip Seacrest is good. Like, he should not have been scratched from Matt Savoy. There are other players, I believe, that are not as good on the Amherst. Um, so I, I, I find that it's, I find that's my you know sidebar by myself rant is that the 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 hate that Matt Savoy was getting is completely unwarranted. Um, and I, I find it a little ridiculous. But nonetheless, that will conclude our Amherst. Well, I, I, I shouldn't say that because obviously the Amherst play game six Friday. And I shouldn't say that completely concludes our Amherst talk because there's another addition to the Amherst uh, by way of Ryan Johnson. Uh, he finally signs. It only took him two months-ish uh, where he could have been playing in the AHL playoffs. But, you know, we'll see what kind of game shape, he, game shape he's in. I, I don't think he's going to get into the series. If the Amherst advance, I think he's going to I, – I would be shocked if he doesn't play at the Amherst advance. It's going to be the same situation as Matt Savoy and Amherst fans. I mean, if they lose, it's going to just take this kid's head off. But um, he's a very good puck mover. 
very sound defensively, maybe not put up a bunch of points, but this is a huge signing for for the Sabres. Um, obviously, they were if they would have lost him, they would have got a um, uh, a second round pick, commentary second round pick for being a first round pick uh, and not not signing his team. But to sign him, I think is huge because the Sabres to me have solid, you know, defensive prospects. They don't have any more elite defensive prospects. If but when you have power, Dalene, Samuelson, even Yoki Haru who's still young up there. I think there's a way to find a veteran too that fits in your top six, like Labushkin, and having another guy like Ryan Johnson, who I think has the profile of being a very solid number five, maybe a number four defenseman on a on a very good team. Um, I think that's it's, that's a huge signing. And again, we'll see how he goes. Uh, he's only been practicing for now, um, so we don't fully know what he looks like in, in, in professional hockey, actually playing in college in, in the University of Minnesota. Um, but he signed a two-year deal, so this is kind of similar to, I guess that was maybe the the fuss. I, I don't know. In two years, we'll see where he, he's at with his ELC, and we'll see what kind of contract he gets. But I, I think this is a guy that will start. I think he'll have an opportunity to win a spot next year in training camp. I think most likely he'll, he'll start in Rochester, Um and kind of rebuild that Rochester decor. Again, I feel like every year the Rochester decor is just a bunch of free agents have to be brought, either brought back or or, or re- retooled again. But uh, I think he'll start in Rochester, and maybe he'll, I think he'll get a couple of games the next year in the NHL level. And if he plays well enough, I think it could be a Samuelson situation where you know two years ago Samuelson started in the AHL mostly because of injury, but started in the AHL, got called up, and then played so well that they didn't really send him back down. So. I think that could be a potential situation here with uh, Ryan Johnson. So with that being said, that will conclude the Amherst talk of, of our Sabres uh, uh, talk of, of, of the pod. Um, talking a little player raids. Um, so third line, it's it's a little difficult. Obviously, the kids line on the top line are very easy. Three people to kind of come up with. Um, but for this... I came up with really mostly people that I would, I would associate with the third line of Jordan Greenway, Casey Middlestap, and Victor Olson. And I think this is an interesting, um, you know, three players because I don't think all three players had great years. I think some, I don't think all of them had a, a complete um, from, you know, the start to finish kind of years that they, they, they would want. But we'll start with the new guy, Jordan Greenway. For me, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat out here. I, I'm gonna pull a little bit of a cheese move and say incomplete. I don't have a great return anyway. I think it's hard to grade a guy that obviously had a really rough year in Minnesota, was not doing well, came to Buffalo, really struggled for the first part of his stint, got banged up or kind of banged up but scratched a little bit to kind of learn the system, and then you saw him take off. Um, you saw him take off in, in a little bit in, in the in the last push of the season. And I think that will be interesting to see. Obviously, he, play, he was playing with Tage Thompson and, and Dylan Cousins, but you can kind of see a little bit of the potential of a guy, sound defensively, can kind of win puck battles, big body, physical, kind of a playoff guy maybe uh, that could be tough against on the four check. Um, so I'm interested to see what he does in a full 82 games, but I can't give him, I, I just can't with a good heart give him a grade. Cause I, I think it's going, if I would give him a good rate, it would be a bad grade. I don't think it's a hundred percent fair to the player because I don't think we've seen enough of the player 
while he was while he understood the system. I think it's hard uh, for that. But my second player is Victor Olsen, and I'm giving this man. I'm going to give him a D plus. Um, listen, he had 20 goals. Golson kind of did what he did with that, but just another one way season for Victor Olsen had 40 points. You know, offensively, you know, with the goal scoring wasn't a bad season, but again, just horrific defensively, just soft. I, I think that's the key word for Victor Olsen for me. It's just really soft. You know, avoids contact, doesn't seem to always want to fight for the puck, doesn't always seem engaged. Um, and it's hard to know really what what the Bills do from here. I don't fully know the Bills. Jeez, oh my God, the Sabers. Excuse me. I don't fully know what the Sabers do. I think a trade has to happen, but again, I don't know who really wants them. I think they might have to retain salary. It just it, it's a tough moment, and I don't fully know what they would get in return. Maybe just kind of a cap dump them. I just don't think you can have Victor Olsen back on your roster uh, next season. And D-plus to me is the correct grade. Um, just a, not not the best season for Olsen. Um, you know, we, again, this is where I was a component of last year trading him because at the end of the year because he ended very hot. And I thought his value was an all-time high. I didn't think he was going to be able to live up to that and then he signs the two year four point seven five million dollar contract and listen they're not in, in really big cap constraints next year so it's really not a huge deal that they have him signed to that but I do think they need to move off Victor Olson. So the last player Casey Middlestat what a turnaround 15 goals 44 assists for 59 points played all 82 I believe he was the only saber to play all 82 games um just a tremendous turnaround from the first half of the year to the second half of the year and I think we're going to get a lot of heavy discussion into what to do with Milstad. Uh, you know, in, there was an athletic fan survey where over a thousand fans answered questions, and tw- only t- about twenty-four percent said they would want to trade Milstad. Honest to God, I'm kind of not in that twenty-four percent. I think keeping Casey Milstad is the best thing for this team because. What are you going to get? If, if you would tell me right now, Casey Millsat could be involved in a trade for legit young top four defenseman, top four right shot defenseman that has a good contract, I, I would do that in a heartbeat, right? Young goalie, I guess, too, kind of in that mode. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like if, if, if those two aren't the, if the if young goalie or young right shot defenseman isn't being offered in the package of Middlestat, I'm kind of not interested in just dumping him because. I think what Millistad does is it he he has a lot of versatility. I can't believe I'm saying this, but he has a lot of versatility where he played wing and then he played center of Thompson being banged up. So I think you know when those injuries hit, you know I, I still think I still think he's a third line player. I don't think that particularly has changed. My opinion of that has changed, but I think he's more of a guy that can play third line but can potentially play up in your lineup if injuries happen, which we all know they're going to happen. And I, I just don't think he's a guy that I could I, – I don't think you could lose a 59-point score. I think he's kind of – I think his offense would – you know, as much as I'm saying I'll get rid of Victor Olsen, the fact is Victor Olsen did score 28 goals and had 40 points last year. You know, getting rid of Melstat and Olsen, you know, you're getting rid of nearly, what, 40 – plus goals and nearly a hundred points of offense. And then who are you relying on to, 
who to take that take that you know paint crabs jack quinn jj Perker. i think we all expect them to take jumps but and then you know maybe you think yuri kulik will be in the lineup i i, I think that's a little bit of a gamble that i just don't think this i i, I think the olsen move yes i don't think that's really that much of a gamble because i think they could you could play some I think replacing Middlestad as a gamble to the forward group that the Sabres do not need to make. Um, so with that being said, that is I'm defending Casey Middlestad and I'm going to give a grade here. I'm going to give him a B. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm going to give him a B. And while I think that might seem a little confusing after I praised him, his second half was amazing, but his first half was terrible. I think, again, I'm one of those guys that, I think your whole body of work matters to me in these season grades. I'm not really, I, I try to avoid being incredibly recency bias. And like, for me, he had like a D second, first half and a second, first half. And for me, I think it works out a little bit more where I favor, you know, playing hard down the stretch in a, in a more advanced role and how much he's improved. So I, I'll give him the B a little bit higher than the average, you know, an A and a D. But to me, he he improved a lot throughout the year. I'm I'm intrigued to see has he gotten over that kind of mental hurdle hurdle. And he's a guy that you know Olson for the longest time soft didn't play hard. Kind of a little bit of middle style. Was kind of a guy that avoided contact every time he went to the boards. Like man, he's losing this puck. You know, I think this year he finally realized you know, the second half of the series. Like I have a good shot. I am not a good NHL skater. While I don't have the physical tools, I do. I can work if I work harder and win more puck battles. I'll be successful, and we saw it. He's still a good playmaker. He still makes insane passes, and he's using his. Hopefully, he uses his shot a bit more. He could get up twenty goals. I think we saw Mills at him learning that. Hey, if I own the boards like Sam Reinhardt did here, I can have a very good NHL career uh, here in Buffalo. So I think that's, you know, I, I'm I'm intrigued to see. What Middlestad does in the in the 23-24 season, but uh, talking a little bit more about the survey, 97% of fans believe the team will make the playoffs next year. I think, I think the Sabres fans are very optimistic. I, I I would agree. I think I think if the if the players that we all expect to take proper jumps and they add, you know, the the the, the holes in the roster, goalie and a little bit defense, and we'll see maybe if they if they add a forward. Um, yeah, I think they should be a playoff team. I, I think the expectation should be playoffs. I think that I think. That should be what's marketed as success. Um, there is another question of what would be successful next season. I think 61% was playoffs and like 37% was winning around. I don't think they need to win around next year. I wouldn't consider that to be uh, – obviously, that's a, a, a success if they went around, but I don't think I need to say them, oh, wow, that was successful because they won around. If they lost in the first round, I'd be like, wow, that was an unsuccessful season. No. Like to make the playoffs, to break the drought, I think it would be considered a successful season. And uh, I had the expectation that they will do that. Uh, and then 56% of fans want Zemnis Gurgensen's gone. A little bit of a, you know, be careful what you wish for. Gurgensen's known commodity, defensive forward, you know his role. With that being said, I am one of the 56% fans that, that agree. I, I agree with the fans, the majority of fans on this. Um, I think especially if a postal going back, I think I would just like to add, be a little bit younger, maybe a little bit better offensively in that Gurgensen's role. Still find a guy that can get you the same kind of defensive impacts, but if I can improve just a little bit, just a little bit more skill. I know Gergensen's had about 12 goals. I, I you know, the last couple of years he's had you know double digit goal seasons, but some of them have been kind of fluky. I just I need a guy that's a little bit better, a little bit more two-way, not just you know, one way but defense. It's just a little bit weird to say. Usually when you say one way, you think of forwards, but one way de- defender in Gergensen's I need a little bit more two-way, but 
Um, moving on from the fan survey, unfortunately, we are getting a Jack versus Sam final. Um, my five dollar bet is still good with Mike. That that is very exciting. Um, with that being said, I'm rooting hard for Sam Reinhardt. I am. I like Sam Reinhardt. I know the Panthers are kind of a division rival. Kind of, I just don't see them as a really like a rival. I, I don't know. It's kind of it's bizarre to say that, but I, I just kind of like they're not Montreal, they're not Boston, they're not Toronto to me. Um, but I like some of the guys in Florida. I just don't like Vegas as an organization at all. It's not even just Jack Eichel. You know, I, I think the way they do business is terrible. You know, how they just kind of get rid of their players and especially Flurry and Pacioretty. I just, I don't really respect that. And especially because I believe that they're like $11 million over the cap, but because they did all that LTIR stuff that they're just like fielding over team. I'm not saying the Panthers probably aren't doing the same, but like, I just find that to be absolutely ridiculous in hockey that, you know, you're, you're facing a team that's 11 million, has $11 million more than you. Um, I don't know. I just think that's 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 dumb. But um, listen, Sam, I don't think has an opportunity. Jack Eichel has a legit opportunity to win the Conn Smythe. Um, so the leading point getter right now is uh, Rupe Hints from the Stars, who just got eliminated with 24. Kachuk, I believe, is 21. And then the leading for Vegas is Eichel of 18. So there's a real there's a real opportunity that if Jack plays well, cause I don't I don't think they're going to give it to Aiden Hill, the goaltender. There's a real opportunity that if Jack plays well in the series that he, and the Vegas wins, he's going to win the Conn Smythe, which would be tough seeing O'Reilly already had one, but. You know, I'm 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 surprisingly at ease with this. I, I don't I think this would really make me mad if they got bad returns, but you know, Sam, they get Devin Levi, who's at least going to be the goaltender of the future, and Yuri Kulik with the, the first round pick seems to really be a really good player. I love Alex Tuck. I love what he does on this roster. I love that he's on this team. I like Peyton Krebs uh in, in my bottom six. I like what the potential of Noel Austin can be. So it would be different if they trade. It'd be different, you know, with O'Reilly at the time. It was a lot of like, oh my god, like we get this crap return. He's going to win the Conn Smythe and the Stanley Cup. Literally a year later, I think that was a lot of bitterness. I'm not really not all that bitter about this. You know, Vegas is a good team. I kind of expect them to kind of be competing right with Sam, with Jack and you know the Panthers got on a good run. So my cup prediction, while I'm rooting heavily for the Panthers. I do think Vegas is going to win in six. I think Jack Huckle is going to win the Conn Smythe. Uh, that would be my prediction if I had a bet. Well, I should say I've bet money on it because I literally have a $5 bet on the Panthers, but I did that a year and a half ago because I thought the Panthers were going to win this cup last year and they got swept in the second round by Tampa. So, yeah. So, I guess go go Panthers. I, I Again, I, th- I think this is kind of a series where you just kind of sit back and don't root for either team. But I, I just my disdain for the Knights, I think, is going to push me to root pretty heavily for the Panthers by the end of it, but that's going to do it um, for this Sabres talk. Uh, we are going to transition to the, you know, a brief Spanish talk, of the would you rather the past your prime hall of fame and trivia right after this. We are back here with the Buffalonian podcast. Obviously we transitioned from our Sabres talk now to our, our, our game part with our, would you rather uh, our Pasture Prime Hall of Fame, our trivia, and look who we have here, Mooch. <laughs> Introduce hey, yourself. Or... Hi, everyone. My name is Mooch, a uh, longtime listener, first time on the pod. Dom is my boy. So good. happy to be here, Dom. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I, need, I needed I needed a, a wingman for this segment. I thought 
who, who who's better expertise to pick on but yourself so before oh, we get into our fun part i do have to briefly say i just made my stanley cup pick of vegas and six i just want to briefly ask what is your stanley cup prediction all right so and, and you got to give me the con spice all right so before the playoffs started my stanley cup final was and i have the screenshot to prove it it was carolina vegas so i'm happy that i got the western conference correct with that you know i feel like I have to ride with Vegas because they at least showed up on that side of the bracket. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say Vegas in five. I think it's going to be a pretty boring, maybe Florida steals game four or three at home. But I think the, I think the golden Knights get it done and much to the pain of us Buffalonians. I think we see Jack Eichel raise the cup. However, he will not be the con Smythe winner as that's going to go to William Carlson. So book it in there. Knights in five. Uh, William Carlson will be raising the con Smythe. Dang, that, that's that's an. I thought you were going to say uh, Jonathan Marshall. I I think that's a. I think that's a good take as well. But I, I think Carlson's been the the fire that they've had to get through this run so far, and I really think he's going to be the guy that carries them all the way if they make it. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting seeing that their goaltender in Hill probably won't win it. So it seems like it's pretty wide open for whoever is the best skater performance. Other you know different from the Panthers of it seems like Bob, but Kachuk could probably be seems like a two-man race. Yeah. I mean, if Bob can steal them the cup, you got to give it to him. But you look at the stats from that Carolina series and Matt to Chuck, three game-winning goals. I mean, the, thir- the la- third one wasn't technically a uh, an OT goal, but it essentially iced it. And he had an assist on the game-winning goal in the third game. So he had, he had, he had a point on every single goal, three of the goals themselves that won them games. So really – that's that's a tough one, but I, I it doesn't matter to me because it's not going to go to that team since they're not going to win it. So no, oh, oh. well, then I have to give Mike five bucks, but that's okay. <laughs> so transitioning now, before I even get into the woods, you rather I completely forgot I had this on the outline. But Bruce Bandits talk the Bandits again are now in game three. Uh, we Mooch and I did go to game one. That was a um, a pretty nerve wracking dub. They won oh, yeah. by a singular goal. Um, not really the best performance kind of was a little felt like uh, I felt like one of those games. I don't know if you felt, but like if the game was five minutes longer, the bands probably lose. They just, I don't think they scored after midway through the fourth quarter. It just didn't seem like, I just felt like if the game was when it continued five more minutes, the bands probably lose. And then they got actually throttled by Colorado in game two. Shocker. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I that's, you know, the best way to put it is deja vu, right? You mm-hmm. know, if you recall, Dom, we were at game one of the NLL finals last year and they were playing the Colorado Mammoth. And that game was a nail biter, too. I don't remember the final score, but I do want to say I that. I think they won by a goal. I want to say they might have. I don't want to state that, but it was a nail biter and they were in it the whole way. And I remember walking out of there like, oh, cool. They're up. They're up a game. All they got to do is take care of it. I don't remember who they interviewed, but the, the guy was like, I love you, Bandit Land, but that's the last time we're playing here this year. We're going to go win it in Colorado. And they did, in fact, not win in Colorado. And they. <laughs> Went back to Bandit Land and lost, um, but it is deja vu, right? And you're right with uh, if that game had gone a little longer, I really think the momentum was Colorado's way. So you hope that they can deal with the loss of Josh Byrne and they can get it done in Bandit Land. So yeah, not having Josh Byrne, you know, I'm not going to say I'm the resident lacrosse expert. I'm definitely not, but uh, not having Josh Byrne seems to be, you know, when especially in this time of year, especially when you're, you're competing at 
at the highest level for a championship, when you lose one of your better players, it, it then falls upon really your depth players to play more like stars. And I think we're seeing like Ian McKay. Yeah, not, not going to pretend I'm a, I'm a lacrosse expert, but he's a transition player. And now you're seeing him now play that that right wing left shot position with if Kuche. And Kuche is more of a, you know, kind of like your third option, kind of your your pacemaker. And now he's going to have to – he has to step up more. I think he only has one goal in two games. Um, so, just, yeah. Uh, our board, though, Tohoku Nanakote, our guy, had, had a big game, game, both games. Yeah, well, you know, people have to – if you're a stack guy – Burn was tied for on the team for most points with Daner, but the two of them had the most points in the entire NLL playoffs. So you're telling me, you know, the number two tied for number one guy in the entire playoffs is out for the most important three game series of the entire season. You know, that's, that's heartbreaking. And I think there's a benefit that people aren't looking at in the chemistry of it, where you're not passing to the same guys. You said right about McKay. You know, normally that's Burns' spot, so you're not passing to him. You know how he passes to you, but that's not him. So, you know, you you really hope that uh, a crowd at Banditland in Game 3 can really bring it home for them, and I'd love to see a championship here in Buffalo. Yeah, you know, it's been 15 years since they won, which is kind of remarkable by the amount of finals they've been to. But they did lo- they lost 10-8 last year in Game 3 in Banditland. So, hopeful. Uh, I believe that game is Saturday, if I am not mistaken. I think you'd be correct. I believe it's the third. So, yes, that is the thing. So, hopeful for a good game there. So, the reason why, I, the real reason why I called you, and not for your, your, your stealing golf takes or, your, <laughs> or your, your, your opinion on the bandits, is I needed a, a, a partner for the Would You Rather Pastor Prime Hall of Fame in trivia. Uh, so, the Would You Rather. So, I think we saw this. You know, I, I, I guess we're going to see how really superstitious you are. So, the Florida right. Panthers you know, win the Eastern Conference and they obviously touch the trophy. I know where this is going, yeah. Do not care about any superstition. And you saw with Vegas kind of being, I think, believe Mark Stone was cool to say, we're looking for a bigger cup. You know, this is enough for us, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So in your position, you're captain of an NHL team. You know, if you want to be Vegas or Florida or you just want to make up your own team or be a pretender to Sabres captain, uh, are you touching the conference championship trophy or are you just the, like, Nah, being Mark Stone, being a cool guy. and I, I will say this. Colorado last year touched, and they won. So this is a topic that I've thought about a lot because I remember back during the back-to-back Penguins, Sidney Crosby touched the trophy, and that was a big deal. And they won back-to-back. And the, I never had a lot of thought into it because I feel like as a hockey player, you have to understand that touching the trophy isn't going to magically make you play your worst in the next seven games. Uh, I thought it was so funny when I believe it was Barkov took the trophy like off the ice, like into the locker room. I don't know if you'd like normally watch it, but like they touch it or they don't and it sits on that table. But like he brought it back to the locker room like they they showed the shot of him carrying it off the ice and booking it to the locker room. And honestly, I just love that vibe. You know, you're basically saying we don't care about superstition. We're going to play with or without a silly little. Oh, we touched a piece of metal. So. I never had an opinion on it before, but watching the vibes of Florida, I'd say I'd touch it just to make everyone mad and see what everyone's reaction in is. In the headlines, and, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I probably, I'm not superstitious like that. I, po- I probably would touch it just because, like, I don't know. I always find it kind of silly that I know you're trying to win like the cup, and like you know, Jimmy Butler's talked about like how he doesn't care about the Eastern Conference trophy or anything, but like, 
I don't know. I do feel like your your achievements like that should be celebrated where you you win a, you win your conference, especially in Florida's position being the eighth seed, uh, kind of barely make the playoffs. I feel like you should at least take a second to appreciate that accomplishment. I don't know. I, I guess I mean here here am I talking about being a high school athlete like winning like sectionals and stuff and I, like I took the time to be like well this is pretty cool I mean obviously there's more fish to fry but at the same time like I I think I don't know I feel like I would touch yeah. the trophy because like I mean I, I mean I I literally like at that point you're probably like just duct tape and glue you know yeah no, I might as well I, like yeah all that bruising I might as well like no I touch agree thing I worked hard for yeah you know that's the inner Buffalo Bills fan in you Dom talking about how it's so great to have this trophy because the bills do have four AFC championship trophies, not a single ring to show for it, but you're right. It, it goes back to like, you know, they lost those super bowls, but they went to four straight super bowls and they won four straight AFC championships. And I mean, don't get me wrong. You ask those guys and they probably don't care. You know, they probably, they'll probably tell you they wish that one of them was a ring and they would have given up the other three uh, for one ring. But I feel like as an athlete, you got to hold yourself to a standard of winning the championship. But you also have to appreciate, at least in Florida, even in Miami sense too, right? You know, you're eight seats. You're making history. And nobody picked you to go this far. So I think that for them, I think it's a really good appreciate what you've done and understand that you've done something that a lot of teams say they can't do. Like they can't go to a Stanley Cup, but more or less they can't do it as an eight seed. So I, I think it's a special I think that should be celebrated. I would agree. So, Pastor Prime Hall of Fame, you know, Michael, as we do this segment, it's basically a player that we believe is past their prime. I think it's pretty obvious. It is important to say that it is not the past your peak Hall of Fame. So, the player could have peaked, and maybe you don't think he's going to be the player, like a 100-point player, but he could still be a solid player, and that's really not past your prime. But, so, my player for the past your prime Hall of Fame player that was just eliminated for the playoffs tyler sagan tyler sagan i was gonna i was gonna say jamie now, i'm gonna say it he did have a 50 point season and he was at about i think he had nine points in about 18 games but he did not have a single point in this vegas round he's also making over just about i think contract has to play a little bit he's making for the next four years just a shade under 10 million dollars for a dude that's barely a 50 point player I don't think he's ever going to be that point-per-game player he was. And I think a 30-point drop-off, especially because even previous years before that, he wasn't even that good. I think he's past his prime. I don't think he's ever going to get back. I don't think he's ever going to get back to his peak, and I think he's just going to continue to decline. I don't think he's going to, like, stay at this 50-point thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking about championships, right? And I think it's kind of funny to look at Tyler Sagan's career. Um, Won a cup as a rookie year with Boston. And has he come close to sniffing it since, you know, not really. So I, I think that for a player that outside of his first couple of years, which, you know, as we said, is his prime, but hasn't been that guy since I'd say he's past his prime. And I feel like, I know we really shouldn't look into the organization as a whole. When we decide these things, we should look more towards the individual, but you look at what Dallas has stocked up in the cupboards, right? Uh, they got Logan Stankoven. I believe they got Ty Delandria, Sankoven, 
I'm forgetting a couple of them. Johnson. John, yeah, John Wyatt Johnson, that's his name. But and then that's on I didn't even mention Jake Ottinger or Jason uh, Robinson. Like they have so much young talent and they just saw so much success from that young talent that you don't need Tyler Sagan. I'm not saying you don't need, but you can transition away from your Jamie Ben in your Tyler Sagan and you can think more about your Mira Heiskanen being the vet on that team and uh, maybe even Arupe Hints if he comes back. But I mean, I would agree. I'd say he's past his prime, and I think that his. I, I yeah, I got nothing else. Yeah, I I think especially because you know this this series was really decided that Dallas really only had one line, the Hints Robertson Felsky line, and they really needed Tyler Sagan to step up, and uh, he really just threw up on himself. So again, <laughs> I think in in the state of like, if you looked at his stats, he's still a fifty point player, and maybe that's not completely past prime, but. I think from what he was as an 80-point player just a couple of years ago to what he just did in the playoffs, I just think, I just think especially with that hip that he had that surgery on, I don't, I think he's going to decline uh, pretty soon to being pretty bad. And that contract is pretty brutal. I don't think they can move it. So mm-hmm. uh, now it is time for wait for it. <laughs> Mike's trivia, but yeah, presented by Dom. Um, so we here we go. Here. We got a mic here. We're fine. We do have a mic here, but you're answering the question. You're, you're answering the question. No, that's that's the question. true. That's true. So here we go. Bill's question. So I talked a little bit on the show earlier that Josh is potentially the man 2024 cover. I didn't go too deep into that because it's, it's still rumor based. We still got about, I think June 8th, the 10th is the, the date that they're going to probably officially announce it. So I'm still, I'm still skeptical. So with that being said, what overall is Josh and Madden? In I believe it's Madden twenty three right now. So, oh, okay. So the current Madden, the current the current most Madden. What overall is, right. is Joshua? Time to put my bias aside. So he's not part of the ninety nine club. He's never been part of the ninety nine club in his entire career. I would have remembered that. I what is he currently? If I like boot up the game right now, if you boot up the game right now, I think this is gonna this shocked me. Oh, okay. Well, then that kind of makes me want to not put. I it probably shouldn't have said that. Cause I completely just like no, because because I was gonna I was gonna make it pretty close to 99 but not not really it i was I, I, okay i'll give you two answers i'll give you the answer i was gonna say but then i'm gonna give you the answer that i'm gonna go final on uh i was gonna say 96 but when you say it's a little shocking i'm gonna say they only had him at uh 90 90 what 90 oh 90 no yeah he's he's in the middle between those he's 93 93 okay yeah Vaughn's 94 and Diggs is 97 i was gonna say I thought, I thought, I don't know why, but I just assumed he was the highest rated bill. And I was just going to keep going back till Madden's to see which, which the, like was the last year he wasn't the highest rated bill. And I was like, huh, he's not even the second highest rated bill this year. No, that's, that's wow. I mean, I guess I really like, I mean, we all value quarterback as the most important position, but the bills do have, the bills do have studs. And I guess I could see them putting digs Von Miller. I mean, maybe because of his age, I wouldn't think they'd have him that high. But he's still very good, and he probably would be a '90s player. But I wouldn't think he'd be higher know. than Josh Allen. I feel like I feel like I, I, you know not going to get side super sidetracked, but I feel like that has to. If he's a '93 next year, I I gotta wonder when like how low is that compared to the rest of the um you know people that have been on the cover because Mahomes, AB, Gronk, Richard Sherman, like those guys are probably all pretty high '90s. Who was um oh god I'm I'm forgetting his name. Was it Peyton Brown? What was the name Peyton of the Hellas. guy? Peyton Hellas. But he, he played for the Browns and he was okay. 
Because I always look back at that man. He had strep throat that year. Did he really? The year that he won, the year that he was the man cover. Yeah, he, he got cursed. I remember that. But he I just cursed. It, it's always funny to me as a Bills fan looking for like a Bills cover, and you see a Browns cover, and you always got to think to yourself like, you know, this is like prime, not prime, but like in the drought era for the Browns. Like, why, why do they have a cover? So yeah, no, I always think about that when I think of yeah, that bizarre. Yeah. All right. Sabres question. So Dominic Crash was a little bit in the news because he was getting his old equipment from the Chuck uh, Hall of Fame, the Hockey Hall of Fame that I believe was closing because of financial issues, uh, which is kind of unfortunate. But what year did Dominic Krasik have his best save percentage as a Saber? Okay, see, now I got to think about his extensive, extensive career. As a Saber, okay, so I can't go late career because that would be Detroit. The cup finals against Dallas was 99. And I'd like to say that that was his prime, at least in a playoff sense, he was carrying that team. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go a little bit before that. And I'm going to say the 1996 to 1997 season. And you, unfortunately, would be incorrect. You just <laughs> stepped up your gut. He was 98, 99. Oh, my goodness. The cup year. 937 save percentage is best actually best as a pro either uh, either way to be completely honest so yes the year that you did pick him he won he did not win the the heart that year uh he actually finished third in the he won in 96 97 97 98 and finished third in 98 99 to yamir yager okay and alexis alexis yashin was second place so yager had 127 points so at least i picked a year in which he did win the heart so that wouldn't have been a terrible guess Right. I don't know if you could have went wrong. His lowest save percentage, like from the mid, no. like from his first year in Buff Buffalo, was like a nine twenty until nine after that. Season. Now, where so. does where does that rank all time? Then I'm curious because if that doesn't win you the heart, nine thirty seven. I don't know because the, there. yeah, that's got to be the number one in Sabers history, obviously. Um, from, I'm sure he owns like a minimum game perspective of like him from, being a starter, probably first seasons. He's got to have like the top, maybe top five. Maybe Miller has one of them. I'm, I'm curious now. Probably Miller's best in the year. He might have had like a 920, but 937 is pretty pretty insane. I don't think that can be matched in today's game. So I, I don't think that's getting broken or changed anytime soon. I don't think uh I don't think the savior Levi might even touch that, but no. And we're in the league that the average is like what nine oh eight maybe. I want to say it's, yeah, teetering. It's teetering around nine, and then I want to say goals against is teetering around two. If I could be wrong, no, right. two. It's like three. Is it three? It maybe Han. Two is like a week. It might be two and a half then. Yeah. All right. In a while. So who has the most points in a single postseason in Bain's history? Oh, man. John I, should, I should just specify this. This is a miscellaneous question. It is a Bain's question day. I'm not even going to think about this one. I'm just going to say John Tavares. It can't really be anyone else. No, really? It is Dane Smith. Dane Smith. Okay. I should have went a little Currently, bit more Currently, this playoff day. actually has, he has the most points in a, in a so you have to think. I I I didn't really think about this either, but um, you know the bandit. This is I think the playoffs have have expanded. So I don't think when Tavares was in his prime, the playoffs are really that this long. Okay. And Dane Smith, I believe, has forty one points, and Eli McLaughlin, the best player for the Mammoths last year, had forty two points, which is the most in across the entire league. So Dane Smith, if he collects two points. Uh, on Friday, and I don't think anyone on Saturday. Excuse me, I don't think anyone's really close to him. Uh, he'll have the all-time mark for 
all in all. So wow. Well, you know, I hope he can bring a ring home with that because that'd be yeah. Nice. I take I take I take him scoring zero points in the Bandits win over. I take that league. every day of the week. Yeah, but well. Thank you, Mooch, uh, for hopping on and joining your debut. <laughs> yeah, no, I, how'd I do? <laughs> I think pretty well. I still have the bump. Listen, how, how do you think I did it as my first time producing? I still have the bumper saying uh, Buffalo Sabres talk. And uh, hey, we know. talked about the Sabres a little bit. No, I think you did great. Am I, uh, I going to win the Calder? What do you think? No, unfortunately nah. not. You know, our statistician Ginge is currently the vote, the leading vote gig. No, vote. he predicted the tight end. Yeah, no, you're from right. His perfor- I, I, from his performance in the draft. but No, I get that. I'll, I'll take second place voting. I can handle oh. that. Listen, it is an honor to be behind Ginge. But without further ado, I am Dom Loss, and this was this episode of the Buffalo Owning Podcast. And Mooch, you, you have a call sign to end this? Oh, a call sign to end this? Like a, yeah. like a little like a sign-off. You know, you got like a go bills or you want to do like a go bandits, you know, you're, you're going to be a, Oh, okay. I'll do a, I'll do a little, uh, it's go bandits. <laughs> go bills, baby. <laughs>